Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website or Bite Into It's Facebook or Twitter accounts. This computer has a vast memory capacity. This is not a computer simulation. Most unusual. Are we ready to release our new software? Yes, sir. As requested, it's full of bugs, which means people will be forced to upgrade for years. Outstanding. Good. You've covered all the bases. Computer status report. From this time forward, you will service us. Our priorities seem to have changed. There's no news. Like bad news. Would you mind identifying what you are? Bites. Thanks to Kate Kingsmill for the last three hours of The Distance Guy. And a reminder that she'll be back next Wednesday, probably between 4 and 7 on a Wednesday afternoon. Uh, put that in your phone. We welcome you to Bite Into It, where we talk uh, tech, the internet, games, uh, legal loopholes and stouches, all kinds of stuff. Uh, it just gets bigger and better every year. Tonight um, on the show, it is Mr. Dan Salmon. Uh, how are you, Dan? I'm, I'm very well. How about yourself? Not too bad. Um... Yeah, it's kind of our, our second last show for the year. It might be our last show, I, so we can yeah. do whatever we want. And people can't tell us otherwise. Well, that's exactly it. Uh, at least until we're back next year, when the, when I'm sure like the, uh, the the complaints will have piled up to the point where, um, yeah, guys, we probably should respond to these. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I'm with you. Also, it's Warren Davies. Um, I guess what better way to ease into summer than uh, getting a bit playful? Uh, we have a, a gamesy show uh, lined up for tonight, but uh, it kind of touches on heaps of stuff. So um, you should definitely stick around for the next uh, 57 minutes or so. Uh, we're lucky to be chatting with Liam Esler uh, from the Stray Gods game team uh, here in Melbourne about their new work. Uh, so keen to learn a bit about that. Uh, he's right out there in the green room, um, probably um, pressing his palms together right now as we speak. Um, so stick around for that. Uh, we'll also chat with uh, Swinburne Lecturer and Co-Course Director in Games and Interactivity, Laura Crawford, uh, who might also be hanging around, uh, about violence uh, and games. And are they making us more testy, not so much testy? Um, that'll be a, a little bit later on. Um, that's uh, an interesting conversation. But before then, uh, we are going to tell you about um, a bunch of other things. And... Um, yeah, it's that funny week. Uh, it was a nice thing that Black Friday wasn't so much a thing here for a long time, mm. but it, it now kind of you know has crossed the borders like cane toads, and it marches steadily on on Melbourne and the surrounding suburbs. <laughs> there are um, cane toads in Melbourne. Why didn't why wasn't I informed? There were cane toads. If you go to the right um, taxidermist, you can get one. But um, it's a good opportunity to buy nothing. Strongly suggest you do that uh, on Friday. But if you must buy something, uh, you do need to um, watch out for scams and. 
were particularly vulnerable uh, in in the um, follow up to the Optus and, and uh, Medibank um, uh, breaches. Um, you are going to be getting offers, people, this Friday for stuff that's not going to arrive. So you need to watch out for that. So yeah, uh, generally it's a good time anyway. Um, people are out there um, spending more. I, uh, I got a stat here in front of me that we spend about 125% of what we usually do uh, around that time of year. Mm. Um, So we're out there. um, It is happy hunting for scammers. Um, So I guess there's two things. Um, They've got more information this year to personalize uh, emails. So you might get emails that seem like really legit, that kind of know what you're doing and sort of, you know, uh, what you're into and so forth. Um, So watch out for those ones. Um, Just have a good look at an email, um, especially... Uh, if you've not had one from them before or not had one recently and it looks a bit um, unusual. Mm. But the other one to watch out for, um, which happens a lot, and I guess because there's a a new uh, treasure chest of uh, data, is brand jacking. So basically just cyber criminals with uh, Canva, um, you know, having a go (laughs) to kind of like match up those uh, fonts and colors. So, um, yeah, be on your lookout uh, for that kind of stuff uh, this Friday or even, yeah, from kind of like Thursday onwards. Um, You need to watch out for that. But uh, it's a bit of a theme here at the moment, Dan. We need to watch out for these folks. Well, that's exactly it. And speaking of being on the lookout, um, you know, vigilance particularly in, in the wake of the ongoing data breaches, obviously there's the, the the big two that we know of, but it seems like every day there's one or two new new businesses or uh, entities that, where have, that have had some kind of data breach. Um, and in response, the government, or the federal government, this is, this is from a couple of weeks ago now, but uh, it's important to uh, uh, mention that they have created a new task force and this task force will be a collaboration between the Australian Signals Directorate and the Australian Federal Police. Uh, it will be a permanent ongoing task force to, uh, quote, hack the hackers, which when I first heard that, I, I, I cringed back into my own body. <laughs> but <laughs> but it, 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 I mean, look, it's, it's, nice, to, it's nice to know that the, the, the Commonwealth Federal Government is um, trying to be on the case. I mean... It's it's one of those things where we're already as 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 has been said many times by us, including by the by the current minister for uh, home affairs, uh, we are five to ten years behind the eight ball. So hopefully we can actually catch up. But yeah, look, um, your 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 federal government is 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 on the case apparently. I like this. This this piece reads like um, something straight out of Utopia. It's kind of like maybe it's just kind of like early jitters for a new government, mm. but um, they're planning to stop incidents before they start, which is something for you to think about. Yeah. Wow. That's um. That's that's some buzzwordy stuff right there. We um. We will hunt you down. I mean, it's they're getting a bit Liam Neeson about the whole thing, really. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah. Uh, if there are any hackers uh, listening tonight, you've been warned. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Yeah. Yep. Um. In other government news, um. The French government have decided to, uh, I don't know, rather unusual celebration for beating Australia 4-1 earlier today. Why did you bring that up? I'd only just gotten over it. They have decided uh, in their reverie to um, uh, ban the use of Microsoft Office and Google Docs uh, in schools. So uh, GDPR is uh, is a thing. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. If you work in the sector, it's it's um, been around for a few years, but um, Microsoft Office and, and Google Docs aren't compliant. Um, and uh, so, so for those who uh, haven't heard of it before, acronym busting GDPR is the European Union's General Data Protection Regulation, which came in as you said, Warren, about four or five years ago now. But ha- as a result of the EU being such a massive market, a lot of other international markets are kind of falling in line with the EU's uh, regulations around this. 
Yeah, well, I mean, kind of like what we're saying before about um, Black Friday. Like, it's we're in a global economy, so um, it's not kind of there's not a wall around data in in Europe. Um, so, um, yeah, interesting. Um, I mean, I, I think. <sighs> It's on balance. It's probably a good idea. Um, I think they're trying to, trying to create a generation that um, uh, is is used to the standards that they aspire to. Mm. And um, I don't know if you're Mbappe, kind mm. of earning two hundred million. Yep. Not that I'm bitter about that. No, you know, course. you probably got a few Google Sheets on the go. <laughs> you you want to do it properly? Yeah. You know? So, so they, have they given a reason as to why these particular bits of software are not compliant with GDPR? Uh, no, I'm going to have to dig a little bit deeper. Maybe I'll get back to you on the show yeah. uh, later on that one. Cool. But, um, that's something to watch out for. Um, so, speaking of the EU making rules, um, we've we've touched on over the last few years, um, there has been a push in the, the European Union to make Apple or to, to basically get a standardised charging port for all mobile devices. And what they wanted was, a, well, I mean, what was decided recently was that USB-C would be the standard that um, that various uh, hardware providers will be f- uh, asked to adopt. And the big laggard on that one was, of course, Apple. Um, Apple loved their lightning chargers for their iPhones and they were very resistant to this regulation coming in. Mm. Um, but they appear to be playing ball. So, um, yeah, yesterday or the day before, um, Apple's uh, senior vice president of worldwide marketing, Greg Josviak, was speaking at a conference and said that the company had no choice and that Apple would comply with local laws as it does around the world. So I think that's a big tick for the European Union and a bit of a blow for Apple. I'm still a bit in the dark as to why Apple has been so reluctant to move on, considering that all of their other devices charge using USB-C. It doesn't seem to make sense other than they just wanted to hold on to that little proprietary cable there you have to pay an extra 20 bucks for every time you want to go to Apple to get one. I just assume it's extra extra cash. Yeah. They're like, what do we do? Let's just update it every time we do a new generation. Um, just you know, make people fork out more for it. That's it. Mm. Mm. Um, speaking of cash... Um, We've had a few chats on the show uh, in the past year or two about um, uh, automation and uh, universal basic income. Uh, I know Laura Summers uh, really enjoys um, that topic. Mm. But um, yeah, some interesting uh, research coming out of uh, the States and MIT around automation and what it's actually doing with um, wages. Um, I guess if you thought about, I mean, have a guess. What, mm. would you, what, what, what would you say if you hadn't read the news? I'm not sure if you've read this particular piece yet. Oh, look, I mean, I, I had glanced across it um, by virtue of the fact that we have a have a have a show rundown. But um, I would guess the way that market economies seem to work, automation drives wages down. You are correct. And <laughs> <laughs> like, if we're looking at you know the history of I don't know industry. Mm. Generally, when things are done by machines, people are paid less to do those things. Correct. Yeah. Correct. That, that, that is it in a nutshell. Uh, they've got some data from uh, looking at the charts. It kind of tends to turn around uh, the late 70s. Mm. Um, it hasn't it, – it's affected all types, of, um, uh, all types of workers. So even if you have a degree or something sort of um, you know, um, post-degree, um, it does affect you as well. But it's um, particularly affected um, people who have uh, not gone particularly far in their education. So um, people who haven't finished high school in particular, a little bit of high school, some college, uh, et cetera. But um, 
Yeah, it's interesting. I think um, we're kind of in that uh, messy space in mm. between. Uh, we're earning a bit less. We're doing stuff that's not quite so fun. There seems to be a gap opening and we're not redeploying ourselves to do fun, cool, interesting stuff. Mm. Like we still like hanging around the factories and bars and sports clubs and stuff like that. So Yeah, yeah well, I mean, but I think there's always going to be a need for people to work in those things because, I mean, really, there are, there are certain things that machines still can't do. It's and, true. you know, long may that continue <laughs> in, in my opinion I like that people do things sometimes it is nice when people do things um, speaking of things though that machines can do um, and uh, this is uh, actually really fun there's a new technique that allows circuits to be printed uh, onto curved surfaces so um, for a while uh, just popping them down on flat surfaces circuit boards um, all kinds of applications has been the way to go but um, there is a, a huge advantage to being able to print round curves from uh, electronics to uh, prosthetics and um, uh, all kinds of things. So, um, yeah, that's interesting. I'm, I'm looking at a cool um, – maybe we'll just uh, stick it up on our, um, our brand spanking new Discord if I can kick that over tonight. <laughs> um, a, a photo of this uh, fantastic eyeball. But um, that, that is a cool-looking eyeball. I mean, the, the necessity of a chip in an eyeball, unless it's connected to your brain, I'm not 100% sure why that would be the case. But uh, I like I like the idea. I do remember much like that. Are, are they are they flexible surfaces or are they just curved surfaces? Just curved. Yeah, just curved. But cool. flexible won't be far away. Uh, he's hoping. Triple R on FM, digital, online, and via the app. Thanks so much for being here. It means a lot. You're listening to Bite Into It on 3RRR with Warren. My name is Dan, and it's just coming up on 7.18. And Warren, we've got someone else in the studio. We do have someone else in the studio. Um, if you're looking to uh, get into games over summer or even tonight or even right now, um, you should definitely be picking up Stray Gods at some point. Uh, might not be ready tonight or even tomorrow. I'm getting <laughs> bad looks already from Liam uh, at the moment. But we're now joined in studio by Liam Esler, who's uh, part of the Stray Gods game team at uh, Summerfall Studios. Yeah, hello, hello. Thanks for coming in. Thank you so much for having me. Um, did you literally just drop something to do with the game to, to come in here? Like, what, what, what have you been working on actually today and this Pretty week? much. Uh, today has been a mix of negotiating with voice agents, uh, trying to get a localization. So we're, we're, we're localizing the game into different languages. So trying to get some of the text prepared for that with our narrative team, meetings with our cinematics teams, trying to make sure all of our cinematic content or the, or the visuals in the game are looking good. It's been a hectic day. Mm. And, and what's the kind of scope of Stray Gods? Is it a small game, big game? I'd say um, it's a pretty medium-sized game, which really is a nothing statement, uh, but that basically an average playtime of Stray Gods is about six to eight hours. Mm. Um, so it's a, a lot longer than your average small indie game, but it's nothing like your God of War or something like that where it's mm. more like 30 to 60 hours. I clocked Disgruntled Goose in like an hour, so oh. it's more than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's bigger than Goose Game, yeah. <laughs> There's the back of the game. <laughs> well, I was say, the, it's it's bigger, than Goose bigger than Goose Game in every sense of the matter. Ah, but Goose Game is so good. It is good. They're is. so good. It is good. Um, and and for, for people who've kind of never worked on a game or it sounds like this is not even a job, like this is just fun and like obviously it's a, it's a big job. Um, no, but I, I, I absolutely involved? understand what you mean. Like uh, I think it's very easy to just play a video game and not really understand the mechanisms or the people behind it. It's like most mm. games have teams of like 60 to 400 people behind them mm. and as a as a layperson it's very difficult to understand uh you know what kind of roles are involved in that you know mm. you have artists you have programmers you have uh audio designers you've got composers um 
the reason, part of the reason I love working in video games is I mm. get to interface with so many different people from so many walks of life who do so many different things. Just at Summerfall, we have, I think we've got about 24 people working on Stray Gods right now. And, you know, they really run the gamut from uh, composer to lyricist to, you know, text editor to writer to narrative designer to uh, programmer to, you know, the list goes on and on and on. And I've never worked in another industry that has as much diversity on a single project. Mm. Um, it's just a fascinating place to be. So so let's talk about Stray Gods. What can, yeah. you, tell, what can you tell us about it with, without spoiling it? How, <laughs> what can you tell us about it in the, in, in, in the lead up to its uh, finishing and release? Absolutely. So uh, Stray Gods, the role-playing musical, is a, effectively an, an interactive musical experience. Um, if you've ever played a like a role playing game, if you've ever played a like an adventure game, like a Telltale game or anything like that, where the majority of what you're doing is making choices and interacting with other characters, uh, that's basically what Stray Gods is uh, with this uh, musical element where uh, instead of things like boss battles, uh, we have musical numbers. And in those musical numbers, uh, there are, you hit decision points and you decide what your character sings or says, and that completely changes the direction of the song. So uh, I think we've recorded about four and a half hours of songs for Stray Gods, and in a given playthrough, you'll actually only hear about an hour and 20 or an hour and 30 minutes. So every playthrough is wildly different. Like the melodies are different, the lyrics are different, what happens in the game is different, your relationship to other characters is different it's really uh every every experience is very very different so it's, it's kind of like dungeons and dragons meets choose your own adventure meets sing star a hundred percent right except that you don't actually have to sing thankfully you just <laughs> you just decide what the, the choices are and then your character sings for you right um but yeah we're, we're working with this really really incredible team so our creative director is a guy named david gator and he's one of the most famous writers in the industry he was the lead writer on the dragon age series which is kind of like one of the biggest role-playing game series uh our composer is a guy named austin wintery who did the uh the soundtrack to a game called journey which was the first video game to be nominated for a grammy uh he's incredible he's very very multi-talented uh our voice director is troy baker who's one of the most celebrated voices in gaming he's a very very uh talented voice actor and director as it turns out uh, and the rest of our team comes from uh, all over, from animation, from uh, from video games, from finance, um, and they're all just absolutely stellar. Mm. I'm curious to know, like, what, what are some of the weird conversations or interactions that you might see sort of day-to-day kind of walking around what you do where you've got someone with, like, a puppet kind of, like, trying to explain the voice of the – like, I, oh, I can't even imagine. One of my favorite experiences uh, that just stays with me because it was so bizarre – was I, where I, was, I was working in uh, Irvine, just uh, south of LA, at uh, Obsidian Entertainment, who are like, RPG role-playing game developers. And uh, I, for whatever reason, was situated in the animation office. And uh, every now and then, they'd be like, right, we're getting up. We've got to do some... We've got to film some, some like, reference footage. And I'd be like, oh, cool. What does that mean? And so they'd make us go outside, and they're like, right, I need 10 minutes of you all hopping around like goblins. Um and uh, we'd go back to the office and then play with foam swords because they needed to make sure that, you know, the, the angle of the, a particular animation looked correct. And uh, working in that office was so bizarre, just the, the sheer variety of movement that occurred on a minute-to-minute basis as people got up from their desks to kind of act out a really bizarre movement. Was, it was great. 
And um, wh- what are some things that um, players of the game can expect based on like the particular weirdness of, of this particular game? So I think the thing, the reference points for Stray Gods for us were if anybody, anybody watched um, the musical episode of Buffy, right? Uh, Buffy once more with, with feeling, uh, a lot of inspiration came from that. Uh, it's that crossed with like role-playing games, Dragon Age, etc., crossed with um, urban fantasy. So mm. uh, the story is essentially about uh, this woman named Grace, who you play, um, and she and her band are auditioning for a new singer. And uh, through a series of events, she becomes uh, the new muse of Greek legend. And it turns out that the Greek gods are hidden among us, sort of living uh, hidden in plain sight. Uh, and she's accused of the murder of the last muse before her. And so the game is essentially uh, sort of like framed as a murder mystery. You're trying to discover who murdered the muse and exonerate yourself in a trial. And so uh, you go through the game meeting these different characters, collecting sort of evidence and learning how things really played out. Hmm. And, and like what are some of the action? I'm always like curious about... Um... Uh, the actions in a game like my experience yeah. of gaming was like you'd jump around like your friends different consoles and be like oh play this game we have to like do this weird thing with this joystick or you know whatever it was um is that something that comes up in games um, it might be the wrong question but you're like no, wouldn't absolutely. it be cool if we got people to do this with controllers or this kind of action or so i think i mean every game is different um it really depends on what audience you're aiming at for for stray gods we wanted it to be really accessible because we knew that there are a lot of people who might want to play this game who've never played a video game before in their life mm. so um primarily you're just making choices it's like a really easy control scheme it's really easy to pick up you can do it like you can understand how the game is played within a minute um so it doesn't have a complex what i would call action set i guess mm. whereas uh a game like uh mortal Kombat, mortal Kombat exactly is a great <laughs> example like you know the combat there requires a an extensive memory for all of the different combinations of buttons you have to press. And that itself is a, like a really fun and cool experience, but it's not very accessible to most mm. people. Uh, so when we were designing Stray Gods, we were like, right, we want to make this for both people who love sort of character-driven stories and narrative games, as well as people who've never picked up a game before in their life. Mm. And you were talking before about um, localising um, mm. making it very kind of Australian or, you know, Victorian or whatever it might be. Uh, how are you doing that? And is that like just the voices or music? Or well, in, in this case, it's translating into other languages. So mm. um, we we did actually consider translating every single song and having them re-recorded along with all the voice acting. And then it turned out that that was going to cost literal millions of dollars. Uh, so basically you can play the game in a, a variety of languages we haven't announced yet. Um, but the idea is that, you know, you can go to say China and then Mm. play the game in, in Chinese and Mm. and understand what's going on, Mm. uh, which has been a real problem for lyrics as it turns out, because lyrics are very metaphor laden, Mm. um, and in our game are critical to understanding what's going on. So it's been a real challenge to try to explain some of the lyrics to the translators to be like, Hey, this is actually what this means. I didn't realize how many colloquialisms, uh, we use it on a day-to-day basis until I had to go through all the questions from the localization team being like, what does this mean? I was like, oh, that just means like, you know. Could you, could you, could you give us one? Give us one. Uh, nothing off, off the top of my head. I'm so mm. sorry. Um, I could pull it up, but mm. uh, I don't think we have time no. for that. No, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Um, and and uh, what, what, I mean, obviously you could say like, you know, anyone, but what sort of um, games library would you have where you'd really exhort, enjoy playing Stray Gods? Like it's for people who've loved X game and X game and Y game. If you really love games that are 
focused on stories and characters. Uh, anything Telltale, like if you played The Wolf Among Us or The Walking Dead, you're probably going to enjoy Stray Gods. If you liked Dragon Age, if you like RPGs and role-playing games, you're also probably going to enjoy Stray Gods. And if you're a Broadway musical fan or a musical fan in general, mm. I think this is worth checking out. Mm. And, and, and kind of what do you need to do from here? What's kind of like the next few months look like in terms of um, getting it out the door and what should people keep an eye out for? So still a way to go. So mm. from from here, it's uh, sort of finalizing all of the voice acting, which has been a really fun and exciting experience. The cast behind the game is so incredible. I am so excited to talk about it at some point. Uh, we've got, uh, we're sort of finalizing... And by finalizing, I mean just making all of the cinematics <laughs> for the game. We're doing the things. We're doing the things. Like yeah. there's, um, for the past couple of years, like a lot of what we've been doing is the individual assets. So like creating a, a, a char- an image of a character or like creating an environment. And now we're at the part of like putting all of that together. So we have this team of people who are basically doing kind of like video editing, but in a games engine. Mm. And so it's like real time video that's playing through as the player is going through a scene Mm. uh and uh so they're compositing all of this and there's something like 12 to 15 hours of that for us to do so it is it Mm. is quite a challenge Mm. um and i I, just one last question um what what are you looking forward to most in the the kind of next few months year for what's the one thing where you're like it's it's the day there's an event that we haven't announced that we are doing in march that will be live streamed uh, I can't talk about it contractually, mm. but mm. I can say that we're doing a thing in, in, March. in March and you should follow us on Twitter at Summer Fall Games uh, to find out what is happening because it is probably the most exciting reveal of a game that I can remember. It's going to be very, very unique and very, very fun. Amazing. Uh, we have been chatting with Lee Mesler, uh, who's involved in Stray Gods, which is a game that's going to be coming out probably after, I'm just going to say after March. Um, definitely after March. <laughs> definitely after March. Um, so uh, thanks. Good luck. And uh, yeah, when it comes out, come back and have a chat with us. That'd be yeah, great. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website, rrr.org.au. We are now joined in studio by uh, Swinburne Lecturer and Co-Course Director in Games and Interactivity at uh, Aforsyth University, Laura Crawford. And um, we're going to be having a bit of a chat about um, uh, games, violence, moral panics, um, what's actually going on here. So, um, yeah, stoked to have you in the studio. Thanks for coming in. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. Um, how did you get into this area? I mean, it's an interesting one. It's so it's so spicy and fruity. Um, did you just go charging straight for it with kind of like gun in hand, or did you kind of like just go? Actually, the more I look at this, the more interesting it becomes. <laughs> Just like with my Fruit Loops one morning. Yeah. No, so, um, so actually, you know what? I really think it, it comes down to uh, seeing uh, American Werewolf in London when mm. I was ten. Right? I was clearly too young. Still a great film. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is. Yeah. It is, and it still creeps me out. I've tried mm. to go back. I'm like, oh, it's probably just because I was ten. It's not. It's mm. like really creepy, mm. and I can never listen to Moon Dance in the same way again. Mm. But um, so like, I remember like being quite young and seeing that that film when I was young, and like developing like a real curiosity about why people would want to, and and why people sort of like uh, engage with that sort of thing. Mm. Um, and then that kind of left me for a bit, and I had a bunch of other careers, um, you know, in various things. Uh, 
and, uh, you know, decided to do a degree in psychology and went back and, you know, it's, it's a long and sordid tale, but eventually mm. um, ended up in between um, uh, health sciences and technology. Uh, a game a job in game development came up and I was lucky enough to get it um, at the university, so I was lucky enough to get tenured in game development and... Um, and uh, but most of my research is in forensic psychology, and uh, but I really like that space in between the two, and I think it's a very promising mm. sort of space. Mm. And yeah. I suppose this this idea of you know the moral panic and this technology or whatever the young people like is going to ruin their brains and when they're going to shoot us all to death. This this isn't something that is new. It's not something that even comes from, you know, the Columbine massacre. We're talk, we've been talking about rock and roll music making people kill each other. How far back are we? How far back does this go? I don't know. Probably papyrus. Like, you, know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just like oh, the hieroglyphs are going to ruin the children. <laughs> yeah. Being the pharaohs at the time. But um, so look, a long, a long time, a long, long time. But hand in hand with that, also has gone our attraction to violence, right? To watching violence. So at the same time as we were having, as we've been having moral panics about new technologies. Um, we've also been, you know, for the longest time engaging with, with uh, the spectacle of violence in various ways, everything from obviously like, you know, the Colosseums to things like public hangings um, and nowadays to, you know, which are obviously not the same, but to engaging a lot more with screen violence. I was reading about Dance Macabre actually uh, mm. this morning when I just kind of flip, flipped open my device and after the plague, Europe became fascinated with death and it mm. just popped up everywhere and like it started like thematically appearing for hundreds of years and it took hundreds of years before they kind of lost their morbid curiosity if they ever did. But yeah. um, absolutely, memento mori and things like that. Yeah. right? you know, so it was it was very much a thing in, in the Roman times, but that was more of a reminder of your kind of you know your mortality to mm. keep you humble because of religion. But memento mori mm. post the plague was something that you know people kind of like more so indulged in and had this fascination about Mm. i'm curious i've never really thought about this debate from the point of view of like people are attracted to it and interested in it but it doesn't mean that they're going to go out and enact it so they're drawn to media or artifacts or what have you and it's satisfying could you explain that a little bit more because i've i must talk about this topic two or three times even on this show and we've never talked about people are interested in it but that doesn't mean they're going to do it yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so this research, like really, uh, the the um, research that we're talking about today, first came about for me about ten years ago. Like, mm. You know, is that sort of at the beginning, like midway through my through my PhD, um, and. Um, Really, what I was looking to like looking at was like things like obviously like marketing numbers, the the way in which we buy you know violent games by you know by the millions by the mm. billions, you know, and uh, we're very attracted to horror films and we're very attracted like very much to screen violence in all those forms, and um, you know I was thinking about the fact that we talk a lot, uh, particularly in psychology, about what happens when people interact with these things, but very rarely about what happens beforehand, and very rarely do we acknowledge the fact that we actually are drawn to it in droves um and so that's sort of what that's what began the actual you know kind of like research path um and then started you know looking at uh the fact that obviously there are many different types um of people who engage with it and there are many different ways in which we engage with it as well Mm. Uh, and many different phases that we need to go through to get there too Mm. Uh, but we do Mm. a lot you know and uh, it's only been really if we look at human history we've only been really very recently removed from being exposed to and obviously when I say we 
I mean, in certain cultures, you know, mm. there are a lot of people who are still growing up in, in war-torn mm. sort of regions. There are a lot of people who are exposed, sadly, to everyday violence in, in terrible mm. ways. But when we look at people who have the luxury of being able to engage with screen violence, generally they're from countries that, in which they are not exposed themselves. But it's really in those countries even, it's only been about 100 years or so mm. since we were doing things like going to public hangings and, you know, witnessing deaths a lot more and being in touch with that side of ourselves a lot more. Mm. What, what have been some of the test cases that you've been around for, like you, you mentioned a film that you particularly liked, but what, what have been some of the films or games or pieces where people have kind of, you know, really sort of um, sort of Bible in hand kind of sworn <laughs> against the, the particular thing that we should be I think many of the first-person shooters tend, sure. to, tend to come up a lot because um, you get the, tend to be people who uh, uh, tend to be drawn towards things like, um, you know, committing mass murder and those sorts mm. of things. Um, Clearly, and I, I don't think it's it's out of place to say this, or should be shocking to anyone that perhaps they might be drawn to those sorts of things, mm. right? That's point that, um, statistically, it's about point oh one percent of people, right? Up to anywhere between point oh one and point one percent of people who um, who commit these crimes that are engaging, like kind of you know uh, that engage with these sort of materials that actually are committing these sorts of crimes. Right, so ninety nine point nine percent of people who engage with these things do not. Yeah. Okay. So it shouldn't. But like it should 20 percent kind of, of people who commit these crimes also drink milk and yeah, you exactly. Know, ride exactly. the subway. Exactly, so, exactly. Like, and it should be no shock that you know, obviously, they're going to be drawn to this sort of you know sure. medium to do these sorts of things. So it's not, it, co- it's not it's, you know, it's a very rare occurrence. So to, to, to clarify the question, you're, you're suggesting that um, the games are not causing the the compulsion no, or the thing, but it's not. it's um, uh, may, maybe enabling it or supporting the, the kind of ideas around it. But Look, we shouldn't go. Yeah. We shouldn't say it's it's a direct cause and response. So people yeah. play a game mm. and they go out and enact these things. I wouldn't say even enabling it. Sure. You know, I, I would just say that it is logical for, that someone who is attracted to doing this sort of thing would want to. Sure. Sort of, you know, experience it in other ways. Yeah. You know, I bet. Um, so it's, it's kind of like post. Like they've decided that they're that this is yeah. uh, interesting mm. to them, yeah. whether they do it or not. And um, yeah, I, I, I would say I so. It's it's not really. I don't know enough about that particular uh, part of the phenomenon to be sure. able to comment on it. Yeah. But I will say that ninety nine point nine percent of people who engage with screen violence do not. Yes. Right. We'd be in even more trouble <laughs> if that <laughs> were the case. You know. But by the same token, you know, it's. Human beings are fairly hedonistic creatures, right? So mm-hmm. if if games had no effect on us whatsoever, we wouldn't play them, mm-hmm. right? We'd play them once, be completely bored and go out and, I don't know, knit a jumper or have sex or something like that, mm-hmm. right? Something that's far more interesting to us. Mm-hmm. But, you know, by the same token, if uh, if we decided to mimic everything that we uh, engage with in games or if it upped our levels of sexuality or violence or, you know, wearing a red hat, <laughs> we'd be doing that a lot more too, mm. right? So, you know, I, I think we've got, to, we've got to treat it like any other kind of, you know, medium that we engage mm. with. Mm. You know, it, we don't talk about pornography in this manner, mm. you know, even though, like, that's a drive within us as well, but pornography sells things. Right? I love crushing cars and games. Yeah. I'm the most careful driver you've ever met. <laughs> well, you yeah. well is, is that the thing then? Is it, is it like, you know, when you're engaging with screen violence and particularly in the, you know, in the gaming context where you are actually committing, if in inverted commas, the violence, is that like, I would never do this in real person, but I'd like to know how, what it feels like to do it? Um, I think, yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, I think it can be, depending on the individual, you know. Mm. So, like, so the model that I look out of at our um, relationship with it, um, I think there tends to be, there's a, a definitely 
to a certain extent, there's a biological factor that plays into it, uh, which could be, you know, frustration or something of that nature. There's a psychological factor that, that you know, comes into it, which uh, could be anything from, you know, wanting to engage to catharsis. And then there's a social factor, right? So, you know, let's say if you have a young person who's got the first two, but none of their friends play, <coughs> excuse me, online shooters or something of that nature, they probably won't. They probably go out and cook, kick a football to have that cathartic release. But that's exactly what you're talking about, right? That there's some kind of catharsis. But this also Jung uh, proposes a um, theory of the shadow self, wherein when we're growing as a human being when we're growing up and we are, you know, deciding which particular um, traits to take on, that we have other traits that we would not possibly express as well. Um, And, you know, so it could be a release of our shadow side too, you know. This seems like a great opportunity to ask. Do you know about uh, anything about the killer persona in games where they like to just destroy (laughs) that? Tell tell me more about that. Okay, Bartle's taxonomy. Um, Right, so uh, Bartle proposed that there are four types of of players, Mm. right? So you've got your – you have a social, you have your killer – uh, you have your basically like people who are completionists, and you have people who are explorers. Uh, those completionists, okay, mm, just want to kill. Um, them. But well, so like, <laughs> and then explore their bed. <laughs> <laughs> explore the feelings that have made you feel. Building yeah. a wall, um, take that. that <laughs> No, you missed a spot. Um, <laughs> so, so the idea is that, like, so, and and while while it's it, it's a it's a decent theory, I think I do really do feel it needs to be fleshed out mm. a lot more. Gotcha. Um, but so a, a lot of people you'll find, uh, if we take it like at that that value, mm. uh, tend to be a mix of more than one of them. Right. Right. So uh, they tend to move across both. So mm. I would say for myself, I, I probably I'm definitely an explorer. Uh, for sure. Um, I've got a friend who unfortunately is both a socialiser and a killer. Mm. <laughs> they play Everybody games. come over here. Yeah, exactly. I've got something to show you. <laughs> exactly. I'd like to meet you all and mess you up. So like, so, so killers are more like people who are, you know, kind of, I guess, they're into troll territory. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. So they're not people who act, they might not actually be, you know, killers. A lot of people no. who play first-person shooters, they're multiplayers. They could be very highly social, and mm. a lot of people are. A lot of my students will tell me that they, they play a bunch of games because mm. their friends are playing. Mm. Where's the resistance to this kind of research that's suggesting just because there's violence in games doesn't mean we are going to be violent? Um, who, who, who are your counterpoints out there that are kind of saying, actually, you know... There's many. <laughs> there, there, there are many because it's a very profitable to blame it on emotion, to blame this, these huge, terrible, terrible things that happen on um, something as surface level as an attraction to screen violence. Um, not only um, helps, you know, kind of uh, distracts from the kind of reform that you need to do in various societies, which can cost billions mm. of dollars and upset sure. billions of people, you know, um, in order to de- detect things like early adolescent psychosis or, you know, effects of bullying and mm. that sort of thing, you know, access to guns. Mm. Those things really need to be looked at. Mm. Um, when we um, blame attraction to screen violence for, or an engagement with screen violence for mm. these things, um, not only are we ignoring that part, but also it's a very emotive issue. Right. So because it's an emotive issue, it can be fairly profitable for, you know, things like, you know, uh, religious groups and and parents groups and and various politicians who Mm. wish to basically utilise that kind of emotive issue to um, to get votes. It kind of fits the narrative and it's easy to see and easy to understand. Look at what happened on that screen. Fits in with 
their worldview and so forth. But problematically, while we're doing that, we're ignoring all the things that actually really need to be fixed. Yeah. Which honestly is is the main reason for for that uh, the research that mm. I do is because I think it's important for us to establish a baseline of attraction to these things, mm. so that we can normalise it to an extent and stop kind of you know blaming the, the surface level things mm. that come up for it. Mm. Yeah. Where to next? What, what would you like to do more with this? Are you kind of, is this your piece done or are you going to keep going with it and there's more to do? Yeah. Um, so I, I, I definitely, so I need to finish the PhD. So what mm. happened was I made the fatal academic mistake of taking a full-time tenure job before finishing my PhD. Uh-oh. <laughs> so you, you struggle, you try to keep up with it and then, you know, eventually it tends to uh, fall by the wayside. So um, I'm looking for a new home for my PhD. There's some mm. very promising homes. Um, this time I really wish to operationalise the research, you know, I'd like to attach electrodes to people's heads and make them mm. shoot things on screens. Um, so I'll, I'll do that. Yeah. I got free time right. later. <laughs> Fantastic. Two subjects already. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so, but yes, yeah, so I, I really would, this is the field that I'm definitely most interested in and it really is a lifetime of research. Mm. So it's highly likely that um, I will stay in this particular field and that I'd like to operationalise some of the work that I'd published early on. Mm. Yeah. Uh, we've been chatting with uh, Laura Crawford, who is a uh, Swinburne lecturer and co-course director in games and interactivity. And um, I don't know. I just want to pick up a console and have a go tonight. I can't remember what I was playing last. What, what was the last game you played? Do you oh, okay. Um, actually, so it's been a bit of a stale one. <laughs> so, um, I've, uh, the last game I played was... Uh, let me see. Tokyo Rush, I think, a street racing game, mm. which was, yes, quite a lot of fun. I've missed Midnight Club a lot. I used to really like the street racing games a lot. Um, and uh, Midnight Club went offline and there was a lot of kind of track racing and things that came about. Uh, but uh, Tokyo, Tokyo Club is – or Tokyo Rush, sorry, is a – like fairly new street racing game that I'm very much enjoying right now. Mm. Um, and uh, – a first-person shooter. I can't remember which one it was. Nice. Yeah, We've been speaking with uh, Laura Prophet from Swinburne University. Laura, thank you so much for your time tonight. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. You're listening to Bite Into It on 3RRR with Warren, and my name is Dan. And Warren, there's a couple of interesting and funny things happening right now. There are. Um, it's certainly interesting. I'm not sure if it's, it is kind of funny. I'll, I'll be <laughs> laughing about it later once I let my hair down. Um, robotic microfingers allow scientists to get a feel for tiny objects. Have you ever wondered how you would... Um, feel a mosquito kick um, or a, a ripple across an eyelid of, a, uh, of a, uh, a mouse. I genuinely have not those specific things, but certainly like tiny vibrations. It's the like, how, how, how can you hold natum in your hand? No, you can't. <laughs> um, cool. ro- robotic microfingers uh, allow scientists to do just that. Yeah. Um, so if you can imagine just kind of like a, a tiny sliver of plastic uh, with um, a bit of electronics through it. Um, they've figured out that these things are actually important um, to measure and uh, it's been worked on by scientists at Japan, uh, Japan's uh, Ritsumakan University. Um, and each of the flat rectangular devices measures uh, just 12 millimetres by 3 millimetres by 490 micrometres. So uh, those are millionths of a metre um, thick. Wow. Um, and then five of them are kind of worked into a device. It kind of looks a little bit like a hand, which is kind of strange. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, we'll uh, see if we can put our hand out to get some free... Robotic microfingers. We, yeah. 
we kind of don't really have that much pull in Japan, but we'll try. Do our best. One, one, one other uh, very quick thing. Uh, if, if you have a Samsung phone, you've got a secret Chihuahua on your on your Samsung phone. What? Yeah. So uh, in the in the in the kind of settings in the in the in the diagnostics, they've got for one of the testings, they've got a a, a small photo of a dog. Um, it, basically, if you uh, press certain buttons in your Samsung phone, you will uh, find a very grainy picture of a Chihuahua, um, and it's become a bit of a game to actually find it on your phone. I'm not going to tell you how to do it. Uh, jump on Google and find out how you can uh, find the, the very small chihuahua in your phone. Thank you to our guests tonight, uh, Liam and to Laura. Um, thank you, Dan. Thank uh, you, Warren. Um, also, Elizabeth McCarthy and Carrie Smythe. Um, have a great night. We've got one more show for the year coming up next week. Hang around for that one. Um, up next, Anthony Carew with International Pop Underground. Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Triple R's website or Bite Into It's Twitter or Facebook accounts.